Thanks for tuning in. You are now listening to the Sports Card Lessons Podcast with your host, Ken Cairns, a weekly sports card podcast with lessons he's learned in the hobby and life lessons he's learned along the way. So sit back and relax. There won't be a test. The only thing being graded is the cards. You are now on with Ken. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sports Card Lesson Podcast with me, your host, Ken. I'm a retired teacher documenting my hobby journey here on the pod, finding teachable moments to share with all of you along the way. Don't forget to hit me up on social media, on Instagram, at sportscard underscore lessons. Hit the follow button. And you can also find me on YouTube by searching for my YouTube channel, Sports Card Lessons. If you like what you hear, please like, definitely subscribe, and most importantly, tell a friend and spread the word. Welcome, everyone. Wow. This week, I am so excited to have Rohan Gar on the pod. You know him on Instagram at Slab Mafia Sports, a.k.a. the Sports Card Mayweather. Podcaster, <laughs> collector, investor, and high-end flipper. Rohan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Happy to have you on, man. You're you're 21 years old. You have this massive inventory of some serious heat. Tell me how a 21 year old ha has been able to accomplish this. How long have you been in the hobby? I so I jumped back in. You know, same as everyone else. Jumped back in at the pandemic. Um, you know, I originally got in. There was you know. You know, without going too much into detail, there's a lot of other, you know, crazy things going on in my life when the pandemic hit, you know, in addition to, you know, being taken out of school and, you know, being locked down. And, you know, I kind of just needed a distraction from everything. Jordan documentary hits, watched the whole thing, um, needed some extra cash. I actually sold my entire collection when that happened um, and sold a lot of pieces for way lower than I should. And, you know, I got some really nice money out of it. And so that was really good to start. And but then you know it was actually selling my original collection off that kind of roped me back in and so i started doing a little bit of research on cards you know next thing you know you look at the word sports card once and it pops up on your entire TikTok page next thing you know you know i'm doing uber eats for a living at the time and um, i have an order to deliver and i have to deliver it at the dallas card show and so i deliver the order and you know at this point i'm like you know i might as well walk in and i had a buddy that was inside at the time too so you know, um, paid the admission ticket, walked in, uh, met up with my buddy and, you know, we go dollar box hunting and, you know, let's just say that by the end of flipping, you know, that whole day, um, you know, the whole weekend I'd made my first 800 bucks in cards. And so that was really cool to me. And from there, you know, you know, started looking a bit more into cards, started making investments and, um, you know, so I put a lot of my money into Tower Hero at the time. And this was right like when the NBA bubble started, right? And, you know, next thing you know, he's dropping 39 points in the playoffs. And, you know, my entire inventory triples, sell off most of my Tower Hero. And then, you know, I get lucky, I buy a pack and I pull a Burrow Auto. And, you know, that kind of laid the foundation for everything was, you know, that little bit of luck at the start by picking the right player and then pulling just the right card just consecutively was everything I needed. Now, after this, um, sorry. Now, after I, I, this, I, I just wanted to jump back before, just before, because I don't want you to go too far, but you were literally working, right? You were yeah. working for Uber Eats and you, yeah. you got a delivery and you decided, 
I'm just going to park the car, pay and just go in and start walking. around. I mean, was this planned or you just you just showed up and you're like, this sounds like a really better idea than than delivering some more food today and just walked in. Well, because I was already looking into cards at the time before that. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I was like, oh, well, I didn't even know the show. I mean, actually, no, I'll say I'll take that back. I did know that the show was happening. I had no idea that it was going to be that big because when I was a kid and I was seeing shows like, you know, in the Dallas area, there was maybe like 30, 40 tables. And these are small free shows that, you know, Rich Klein from Becca was running. And I loved those shows growing up. They were amazing shows. But, you know, of course, the Dallas shows, you know, on the complete opposite end of that, where it's over 10 times the size of that. I had no idea what I was walking into. I was like, well, if there's going to be a good deal, it's going to be in that room as opposed to online. And I was 100% right about that. And best decision ever made was walking into that room. Wow. Wow. And was that by luck? I mean, obviously, if someone called yeah. to have food delivered, it was, yeah, it was really by luck to get there. That That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I would have still looked into cards, you know, even if that didn't happen. But I don't think I would have done cards full time if I didn't walk into that room. And what happened after that, you know, kind of adds to that because um, so I started going into the local shop because I met Kyle from Dallas Card Show at the show. And I didn't recognize him at, at first, but someone from the show told me to go to a certain shop to submit cards for grading. And I had a lot of raw stuff that I needed to submit for grading. And so when I went to the shop, I didn't recognize him at first, but he was like, have you been to my show? And I was like, oh, shoot, I remember you from the show. Right. And so I started submitting cards through um, the Dallas card, Dallas card shows office in Wiley, Texas. And, you know, Kyle was very nice to me, taught me a lot about cards early on. And, you know, about two weeks after that, my I wrecked my car so I couldn't do Uber Eats anymore. And so Kyle offered me a job. And so next thing you know, I'm Dallas card show social media manager. And that's kind of what started like the foundation for everything. The bankroll off the borough, the borough pole, and the Tyler Heroes. And now I have the platform to build all the connections I needed to really develop and learn in this business. Yeah. And I'm sure you had a lot of people around you, especially young kid like you around all these people rubbing elbows mm -hmm. with the right people. That I bet you they were all looking out for you, trying to help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, very nice social atmosphere across the entire hobby. Everyone's like, you know, trying to help everyone out. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't think it, the situation could have gone any luckier for me, honestly. Yeah. So, so today, right. How many years ago? I mean, how many years has passed now from that time to now? Um, I would say about two and a half, about, about two, and, two a half and a half years. years. So, so in, in two and a half years, tell me from that point to now, just a little bit of your journey, how you got to where you are now. So, you know, obviously you learn a lot of things, you know, working for, you know, someone like Kyle and, you know, the people that I worked with, you know, a lot of them were, you know, very helpful too. Like I had a coworker at the time that taught me a lot about baseball. So, you know, the winter following, I invested a lot of money into Ronald Acuna and, you know, I was buying PSA 10s at a hundred bucks, selling them at 300 towards the spring. And, you know, that was a really good play for me too. Around then, you know, the market started to flatline a little bit, but, and that was due to obviously, as we know, Kobe, LeBron, a lot of other guys, their high pop stuff, you know, just going too high. So from there, you know, I saved up a little bit of money, started going to shows and, um, you know, started flipping a little bit. Um, took my, took my investment money towards just high end stuff and then took the rest of my money and put it towards flipping with the help of a friend that invested a large amount of money to, um, 
to invest with me. We were able to turn what was, I believe, 40,000 at the start to a quarter million inventory in over a year. Wow. And although me and him aren't together right now, as far as you know, the business goes, we still do a couple of side projects together. We still buy cars together. And yep. yeah, I mean, I think that's just another one of those things where, you know, if it didn't happen, then I don't think I would have leveled up as fast as I did. Yeah. And are you completely on your own, what you're doing now? For the most part, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, have, I have a lot of friends in the hobby that I'll go halves with on big cards. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's always been very beneficial. And I think that anyone who wants to buy a big card should consider going halves on it with a friend too, because now you're doubling your clientele that you can move it to. And so, yeah, that's, that's something that I do very often right now. So let me ask you, with your inventory now, um, how do you source your inventory? Where, where do you go to find the cards to put into your inventory and to flip? That's a good question. So there's different approaches to different things. I mean, I would say at this point, if I'm not going to a show, the most common way for me to get inventory is if someone's messaging me some cards to sell. Um, I don't go out and search for inventory as much anymore unless it's something super rare or from going after a certain player for investment purposes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say that's 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 been the best approach so far has been, you know, just having people DM me with cool stuff because, you know, my bio you'll see it says I'm always buying. And so that's helped me a lot. Uh, but, you know, other than that, I would say most of my money is spent at shows. And if not there, then I'll buy a big card on an auction house. Do you like the auction house? Do you, do you spend much time on there, on the auction houses? Like like perusing or looking for cards. I I wouldn't say I spend as much as I should. You know, I mean, yeah. there's people where you know we're out of dinner at these shows, and I'll have tons of friends that'll be like, "Hold on, can't eat my food." Golden's running. I'm like, bro, who cares? Enjoy your meal. <laughs> like, there's more important things in life. But what I will do is I'll scan it once a week, maybe. Um, I'll scan at least one auction house once a week because I'm bored, just scrolling through and. Yeah. I'll throw a couple players into the search bar, see if I find anything that I like. And, you know, sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. I, I ask people all the time where, where they get more satisfaction out of winning the bid or selling the card for a profit. But, but in your case, if you're, if you're, if you're really not bidding, it's definitely on the back end of that, right? Selling the card at a profit. Right. But for me, I think the most fun and the reason why auction houses are fun in the first place is, I just like the satisfaction of bidding on stuff if I'm being entirely honest. Yeah. Who, it's fun. Who do, you, who do you find to be your typical customer? So I know a lot of people that deal with higher end stuff. They have, oh. you know, they have like people like you where they're they're giving you wish lists all the time. Like these are the people I'm looking for. Um, so typically, who would be your customer? Who 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 would you sell to um on, on a daily and a weekly and a monthly basis? So on a daily basis, um, this is where my flip inventory comes in. I would say I sell to mainly to three groups of people, repackers, razzers, and then end collectors. Mm -hmm. Those three more than anything. Occasionally I'll get, you know, a good investor, but I would say I get more end collectors than anything. And these are guys that, you know, generally have given me tons and tons of repeat business that I'm selling to more than newer customers. And, you know, in order to keep them spending money with me, I'll often give them a discount as opposed to a newer person. Mm. So, so as soon as you're getting inventory in, you're always just constantly contacting them. This is what I have. This is what I have. That type of thing. 
less me contacting them or the other way around. I oh, have three apps that I post to more than anything. Um, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So I'll take pictures of all my inventory. Usually you'll see me doing it at a show sometimes, just going one after another, taking pictures of the cards. And then I'll post it to one platform, then I'll post it to the next, and then I'll post it to the third one, finally, probably the next day. And then if, you know, whatever doesn't sell over there, I'll try to post what's remaining to eBay or my slabs throughout then throughout the rest of the week. But I can definitely get better at that because I haven't been listing all my inventory on eBay as I should. And do you travel for shows? Do you do a lot of shows? I mean, I, you're obviously you're in Dallas, which is one of the best card shows to, to, yeah. to you know, to be local to, but outside of Dallas, do you travel to shows? I do. I do. So I tr I'm currently trying to do um, two travel shows per month. These, these past couple of months, it's been closer to three for sure. Um, I would say the past three months, but I'm trying to scale down on that. And I think, after after November, I'm going to be done for the rest of the year. But, you know, I've been I, I guess the states that I go to the most would probably be California, California for sure. And then New York for shows. So the New York shows, who is, I, I, obviously, I think it'd be Laz, right? Or, or yeah, Laz. Laz. Laz is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all the Laz shows. And, and uh, you know, being here in the Northeast, um, we have a lot of shows. I mean, just a ton of shows. And, you know, we, we, we joke all the time. You could throw a rock and hit a, hit a card <laughs> show here. I mean, we're, we're very lucky in that, in that yeah. sense, but some of the bigger shows, like they, we love the last shows, you know, the, the New York and the, the New Jersey shows, he, he, he really, you know, puts together a great show. The main reason I go to New York more than anything is just cause I have a lot of friends over there. And so I'm saving on, you know, hotel, hotel and everything too. And then, um, you know, like you said, there's so many shows within like, I would say a 30 minute to an hour radius that you can go up there any weekend and you'll find plenty that you can do over there as far as cards go. Yeah. Yeah. And every weekend, I know for me, I mean, part of my podcast, part of what I do is I just talk about all the shows I go to. So every single weekend, I think I may, maybe one weekend, every five weeks, there's nothing, no show that weekend where I have to come up with some other content or an interview or something like that. But mostly I'm able to hit a show either uh, on a Saturday or a Sunday every weekend, if I'm not set up at the show. Yeah. What's been your favorite show so far? Uh, well, uh, the national, obviously that's, oh, that, yeah. you know, it's been great, but, uh, the last shows in New Jersey to me have been hands down the best shows that I've done. Uh, I've done the uh, um, Sea Caucus show down there. Or I think I've done it four or five times now. Uh, and hands down, they've been the best shows that I've done. Just constant traffic, you know, the uh, people spending money. Uh, you know, it, really, we're getting ready now for November 19th as Laz has a show um, coming up November 19th and really kind of a barometer of what we've seen, like in certain shows that have been really good, that have been a little slower. It's going to be interesting to see what that looks like uh, in November, that show there, just to give us a better idea of, you know, how, how well traveled the shows are going to be. If, is it going to, has it going to slow down or is it going to be the same as it's been in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think, no, that's definitely a good point that you made there. First off, you know, people don't, I like how you picked a unique one because a lot of people when asked that question would say either Dallas, Chicago, or Burbank, if not the national. And so I like the fact that you picked a unique one, but I also think it's a good point that you mentioned 
how over the past month and a half shows have definitely slowed down since I would say Burbank. And I think that's something that people definitely should keep an eye on. I think we'll see start stuff to, I think we'll see stuff start to speed up by probably like January or so, but you know, as of right now, things are definitely slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I think it has to do with a lot of things. Um, I think it has to do with, um, and this is just me and, and I was just, just did a podcast this last week, a joint one with sports card therapist. And okay. we just, we just talked about people are a little nervous right now because they're really not sure which way the hobby is going. And a lot of people jumped in in the last year or two, um, because it was very lucrative to get in and all of a sudden they see it start to slow down. And I think they're just looking to get out. So, yeah. so the, the, the people who jumped in and who are jumping out now is kind of changing up the, uh, the landscape, uh, for, for, for some of these shows. And I, and I think what you're going to find is, uh, over the last couple of years, these shows went from 30 tables to 50 tables to 100 tables to 200 tables to 300 tables to 350. I think it's going to start coming back a little. I think you're going to see the table, the tables start to shrink down, but the crowds be the same. I think so too. But one thing that I also think is going to happen is that I think just as fast as it's going to go down, I think it'll come back. I think it'll come right back up. And the reason why I say that is because it, this is the first real boom in the internet era. You know, when you have a boom like that, people are at least going to remember it. And with how interconnected society is now, I think that market dips are not going to be as long as they were in the past. And I think that, you know, we we're not going to see, you know, LeBron base Chrome PSA 10s hit 80K or whatever, you know, they maxed out at last time. But yeah. I think we are going to see a very liquid market come soon. But, you know, it could be two years from now. It could be five years from now. But I think it will come within the next decade. Yeah. I do too. I think it's a lot like the stock market, right? It's yeah, going to be up exactly. and down, you know, and, and and there's nothing you can do. You just have to wait for it to come back, right? Mm -hmm. Do you find um at the shows you're set up at, do you find um the percentages that you're selling at? So, um you know, it, it was just good business practice if you could buy something at 75 or 80% comps and then go to the show and sell it at comps. You know, yeah. it was just it was just easy. But do you find the people showing up at your tables now are like, I want to buy it at 75% comps that, which would mean I being the dealer would have to buy it at 60% or, or 50% or 50 in order for this, for this to work. How, how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, with you at, at the shows and do you see that? So, and I, I think this, I'm glad that you brought this up because this is a topic that people, you know, kind of stay away from talking about, but I think it's a topic that definitely needs to be addressed, but I mean, I, I actually buy most of my inventory when I go to shows off of other dealers, but the way I'm buying it, I'm buying it in a way that justifies me buying it at a wholesale price of usually buying every single card at, you know, 75 to 80%. And, you know, obviously I'm buying that in order to sell it at 90 to 95. Now, in order to buy those prices, I'm having to buy 10 cards, five cards, you know, 15 cards at a time. I'm having to spend, you know, a lot of money in order to buy a certain amount of cards. If someone's coming up to my table and trying to buy a single card just right off the bat at, you know, 75% of comps, it's most likely never going to work out because, you know, that transaction only goes one way. And, you know, being behind the table, you're able to do that because someone can come up to your table under the assumption that you're buying to make money. But on the other hand, it doesn't work as a dealer selling to a customer because, 
that just looks like, you know, I, I guess the right word would say it's just, it's just not enough when it's just one car. Cause you know, the benefit only goes one way, yeah. but if a dealer comes up to me, or if a, if a Walker comes up to my table and wants to buy six cards at a significant rate below market, my, I, I could be open because, you know, that's a workable angle for both people because sure. it, it opens, it frees up some cash for me and it allows them to make some money off the lot in wholesale. And what, how do you deal with, with your stale inventory? What happens when you buy cards that, that just don't sell? Like you bought a card and you're like, oh, I, th this card, I should move this pretty well at a good price. And it, nobody, nobody ends up wanting it. Do you take the loss on it? Do you try to package it in another deal? So a couple of things there. Um, so the main thing is if it doesn't sell, and I would say within a week or two weeks, I can kind of get an idea of whether you know, the card is going to move at a price that I want to or not. And if I get the feeling that it won't, then I'll usually trade out of it. I, I don't, I don't really take losses very often. And, or actually, I mean, if I do take a loss, it won't be a total loss in the first place. It'll be like, you know, I'll buy 10 cards at like, you know, a thousand a piece. And then I might sell one for 900, sell the rest for, sell the rest for more. So I'm still, you know, net up. And that's the benefit of buying a lot of stuff in bulk is that, you're generally always going to be positive in your moves. But if you find that one card that you might be holding a little bit too long, trade out of it to the next guy. You mean, I mean, you know, when you're trading, usually one person has a goal of liquidity. The other has a goal of holding. That's how most one-to-one -one trades work. Right. Yeah. And so I've been able to get a lot of great deals with people that way and they're happy with what they get. And then I end up turning that card into cash and then I end up coming out in the green. So, and let me just, I just want to make sure I understand this. What you're saying is sometimes you're going to take a higher card and just kind of trade it down for some liquid lower cards or, or are we going the opposite? Just be either or. or, I mean, so here's a great example. Um, so I had a Mac Jones prism black rookie auto and I had bought the card at, I believe 700 or 600 off the top of my head. I'd have to go check my spreadsheet. The card had gone all the way down to like 400 bucks. And so, I was kind of screwed on the card for lack of a better term. If I tried to sell the card, it would have been an awful loss. What I did was I took the card, added some cash, traded it into a Curry Contenders Auto at the Dallas show. And, you know, I took my cost base of 700, added it to the cash that I put in. I was into that Curry Auto at, I believe, 3K after you added the, you know, 2,300 or so cash that I added, if I remember correctly. And I sold it for 3,500. So, you know, now I turned what would have been probably a 40% loss into, what's now a 15% profit. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, and, and really probably as long as you're going up, as long as you're going up high enough, um, mm -hmm. you're able to do that. And, and yeah. do you, when, when you trade, um, is there, you know, a pre, is there always a premium on one, one end or another, like the price of doing business to you and, and, and who made this up? And, and why and, and and why is it that way? I mean, why so, why is there, why is there always a premium to be paid? It depends. Here, let me see if I can find an example on my desk here. This is arguably the most liquid card in the hobby. Uh, Hank Aaron rookie. I mean, if you own one of these in you know a grade without a qualifier from grades one to four, there's a good chance that thing's going to be gone within a week if your price is you know somewhat near comps. On the other hand. Let's see. What's a good one? Um, 
trying to find one that has comps on this desk. Um, oh, there's a good one. I mean, it's still a great player. It's a Jordan card, UD3 insert. You know, a card like this isn't going to be near as liquid as this one. So if someone were to offer me this and trade towards this, I would definitely probably put a 15% tax on that in terms of trade value towards what my cash price is. But on the other hand, if someone's offering me another nice piece of vintage baseball, I might say, just give me that plus the cash difference and then we're good. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I think too. If a card is, if, if the card is, is a pretty liquid card, you should be able to trade at, at the card value, yeah. you know, and I, and I've yeah. been at shows where I've had, you know, some pretty liquid cards and we start talking trade and all of a sudden people want to drop it down two, three, four hundred dollars And I'm like, I, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that it's not that I, I, I mean, obviously I could do it, but my thought is I could probably get all cash for that card. The next guy who walks up to the table, if that's the card he's looking for, because it's priced right, I can get all cash for it. So why am I going to give it to you for two, three, four hundred? You know, why am I going to lose on it when it could be an all cash card? Now, if I have another card that's been sitting in my case for two or three shows that people aren't looking at, well, absolutely, I'll, I'll, you know. Whatever you want to do, if it's going to be, you know, 60, 70, 75 percent, whatever it is, because at that point, you know, I talk about this. It's doing no no good in my case, dragging it back and forth. And sometimes you might go the other way around and you might trade that super liquid card for, you know, a really good hold piece. That happens because, mm -hmm. you know, hypothetically, let's say and this happened to me recently, which is why I'm speaking from experience on the other side. You know, let's say there's a card that you personally value at 11K and you're able to get it at uh, the price of a 9k Jordan Fleer rookie because you know that's another one of the most liquid cards in the hobby you know if you're buying that card to hold that's a great move for you because even though you're able to turn that Jordan into 9k cash pretty easily you know you're now able to get this you know other card this 11k card for a lot cheaper yeah absolutely absolutely good point so so your business practice and, and I don't want to say like I've had a business my whole life and mm -hmm. before, and I started doing cards. So I bring a business mind in and I create my business plan and how, you know, I want things to work, you know, the profit I want to make, I figure out that, you know, that I, I don't want to lose money. So you're, you're at your age and, and I'm not putting you down in any way, but at 21, I don't think you've had that much real life experience. So tell me what your business, pra business practices that you go by that, makes because this is a full-time job for you correct mm -hmm. so yes so when you sit down and you're talking your spreadsheet like uh, did you have somebody sit down and say this is the way you should do it or is this something that you that you kind of trial and error and figured out okay i've got it this works for me well so you know i've always been good with you know spreadsheets and stuff back from back when i was in college so i mean i just wanted to see early on, like, you know, how much money we were making, things like that. So I just started, you know, I put the card's name, I put the grade of the card and that's it. And then I put the cost and then I put what I sell the card for. And then I have a couple formulas that calculate cumulative, whatever cards that are actually sold, they'll, it'll take those and it'll take the cost number and then, or it'll take the, it'll take the sale number and then it'll subtract the cost number and it'll let me know how much I'm making each month. So that's all I do as far as that goes as far as like accounting goes, is, is that what you were asking? Yeah. Just, just kind of, and even like you said, you know, you like the people you're selling to. And I oh, mean, okay. I, I guess I, I'm just saying is like the people who 
you know, who kind of from Dallas that took you under their wing a little bit and helped you out. Did you kind of take a little bit of each of the each yeah. of the people you met and, and just put this together? Or did somebody come to you and say, hey, this is what I do and it really works. And, and I, just to get an idea of who you are. So a little bit of both, you know, like you said, you know, I have I've, I've been very lucky to have a lot of people in the Dallas area and in general that have had, you know, a lot of advice to offer me early on. And um, so, uh, you know, working under Kyle, I learned a lot um, early on when I branched away from working for Dallas Card Show. People such as Eric Myers at Howley Hustle on IG. He helped me a lot early on with, you know, developing my business model and everything. And more recently, once I started the grading business, um, Sappy Sports Cards, they live like 30 minutes away from me. Um, you know, uh, Joe at Sappy Sports Cards has been helping me a lot with building out the grading business. And, you know, just having these kind of role models in my life has really helped me build my business and try to create the best product that I can for customers. Now that you've mentioned it, talk to us about your grading business. So we started very recently. Um, I would say we started two or three weeks after the national. We're currently just doing Beckett submissions to for the public. We're offering stuff at, you know, the same rates that Beckett's charging, but you know, we're selling more of the benefits that people can get of submitting through a group submitter, which is, you know, saving on sales tax, having cheaper rates for insurance once we send it back to the customer. And then third, there is a good chance not 100% confirmed, but there is a good chance that we get stuff a little bit quicker than someone would individually because our stuff gets sorted by a separate rep. And so that's that's one of the key benefits of going through a group submitter. And so we started very we started very recently and we're just taking things slowly. But, you know, I'm very excited with what we've done so far. And it's just it's fun and refreshing to try something different. And it's just it's very exciting. Just, you know, submit someone else's cards. And then when you get them back and their gems and just you know, you get to let them know that you got a good grade from them. You know, that's a very good feeling and very few things in the hobby beat that. Yeah. How many cards uh, are you guys submitting now and, and, and kind of looking down the road? What do you what do you hope to be submitting? So currently we're not submitting a ton. Um, I would say we're submitting about 150 per two week period. And we're trying to keep it at that right now just to keep things contained, keep things smooth where, you know, we're still understanding the process and, you know, everything's going smoothly, but I'm hoping that down the line, once we build out our operation, we can get all the way up to $2,000, 2000 cards every biweekly period. Yeah. Yeah. And you can work that out where people could just ship those to you as well. It's yeah. not like you just it has to be people in your local area. Mm -hmm. I, I know I submit to a local card store and I know the guy personally and, uh, He's always excited to tell me when I'm getting tens back because, you know, yeah. his, his son has got a good eye and you give him the cards and he goes, he really goes, goes through them well. And he, probably with me, he's probably about 98% correct on the tens, you know, wow. that's, that, that, that's how high he's been. And, uh, and they're very excited to call me, you know, and I, and, and. I'm hitting the kid off all the time, but whatever he's, a, you know, loves Jalen Wild. When I can find the nice card, I'm down there giving it to him, that type of thing, just to keep hitting them off to keep, you know, because it, because it, it's huge. I mean, when you submit a card, it, the difference between a nine or a 10 is huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so you're saying it's a kid that's doing all that. Yeah. Well, he's, he's wow. the son. He's the one that looks at the card. I mean, he's really got yeah. a good eye for looking at these cards. Yeah. One no thing machine. that everyone in this business needs if they're going to do it, you know, full time is to have a good grading prepper near them. And 
you know, I'm lucky enough to have two really good ones that I go through, but investing in a good prepper can be one of the best things that you can do. It'll save you a ton of money on grading and it can, it can potentially get you higher grades because, yeah. you know, there's always going to be that one car that you submit that had that fingerprint that all you have to do is just wipe it down and they're going to be able to see things like that. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, there were a couple of cards that, that came out of like HGAs labs too, that I said, really look at these. And they said, he said, yeah, we'll crack them and we'll send them. And so they were like HGA 8.5s or nines and they came back PSA 10s. So right. pretty, and, and again, he prepped the cards to wipe them and did what he needed to do. But yeah, I was pretty excited. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, if you can do that and people know about you, I mean, that, that's just huge. I mean, that, that'll, that'll ramp your business way up. Preppers, preppers also do very well in this hobby now too. So, yeah. you know, that's a skill that you can develop and you're, you have the patience and time to put into it. Then I think that's a good thing that people should do too. Yeah. So tell me about your PC, what you PC, what you purchase that is never for sale that, that you keep and, and, and maybe not, maybe everything is for sale. I don't know. So everything has a price. Everything yeah. has a price, but there's things you that... Know, you notice how I caught myself when I... You notice how I caught myself when I said that, that you'd never sell. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Well, then I got thinking, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I every card I have too has a price. Yeah, yeah no, there's... Everything has a price. Everything 100% has a price because I'm not at the point where I have cards where, you know, the card's more important than the money. And I don't, and I think that, you know, for each person it varies, but for me, you know, there's definitely cards that I would need above comps to sell because, you know, they mean a lot to me, but that doesn't mean that there's no price for them. Like, you know, I'm a PCer of Yao Ming, Jason Tatum, and I would say, I would, actually, I would just say those two guys, those are the two main guys that I PC, but you know, on my desk here, I have two, I would say grail cards of Yao Ming. So um, this one right here, you got a game used China flag on it. That's a card that, you know, I bought it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll put this out there. I bought this card a year ago for 1500 and I wouldn't sell that card a dime under 2500 because I just, it's just such a cool card. Where are you going to find a game used China flag patch? Yeah. yeah. Square. And then the other is just a super fractor. I have no idea what this card's worth. I'm into it for 2000. I would sell for that, but those are two grail pieces. And I think, you know, due to people wanting to hold stuff that's rare and valuing it more than the money itself, that's what gets the market moving up in the first place. Yeah. Do, do you it, come across, do, do you come across cards that you're like, oh, like I want that card, you know, like, and then, and then you end up just selling it and saying, I should have kept it. And... Happens to me all the time. I mean, yeah. Like with everything, honestly, I mean, you buy it, you look at it a couple of times, you enjoy the fact of, you know, having it and then you get bored of it. It's on to the next. I mean, yeah. you know, I bought a huge grail piece for myself very recently, um, a Yao Ming Wilt Chamberlain dual autograph numbered at two. And yeah. it's probably the biggest Yao card I've ever owned. But, you know, I have no problem shopping it now. But just the fact that I got to say that I was one of the people that even owned that card is, you know, cool. Yeah. And do you ever see your cards come back? Like do you, you see that card, like a card you sold and all of a sudden you'll see it come back around circulation or be for sale. Yes. That's happened a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. That happened to me. I bought a card, uh, at, at the Hofstra show 
last year. I bought a card at the show and I loved the card. And no sooner did I drop it in my case, I bought it off somebody walking around that somebody came up and was like, I had, I, I want to buy that card. And they, I, they paid me double that I just paid for the card. And I only had the card for like 20 <laughs> yeah, for like 20 minutes and it left. And I took a picture of it first and then it left. And then I was like, oh, I really like that card. And, and it was probably like three months later, the card showed up on eBay. And I'm like, oh, and I went and I looked at the picture. It was the right serial number, you know, the, the PSA serial number and everything. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to get the card back. And someone just outrageously outbid me on eBay for the card. And then oh, that was God. it. Card was gone. <laughs> I had a friend, and if he if he watches this, he's gonna think it's funny that I mentioned it. But um, he bought an Aaron Judge auto for like seventeen hundred or something in the show. Sells it to his friend for five k. He's super happy, right? So friend runs it on eBay and it sells for seventeen k, paid for. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was perfectly fine, but like yeah. that's a lot of money left on the table for two people yeah. involved. Well, I tell you, and I say this to people all the time, and whether it's right or wrong, it's what I do, and it's how I, like how I manage my business, right? If mm -hmm. I buy a card and I can get a card at sixty or seventy percent, and if I can move it to somebody, and we and I use the phrase "leave a little meat on the bone," right? So mm -hmm. if I move it to you for say ninety percent, yeah. and then you can take it, and if you want to keep it, you can keep it. If you want to move it, there's a little left for you too. And what I've noticed with those people that I've done that with, when I go to these shows, they're always coming back to me, right? So mm -hmm. it's like all, all of a sudden they're all a customer for life because they know like there's a good chance they may be able to get something from me that they may be able to move it and make a few dollars on. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the most important thing is creating recurring business. And the best way to do that is to either have customers that are happy with the deal they got or customers that are profiting off the deal that you gave them. And that's the two easiest ways. And, you know, now I just remember the card that was a prime example of what we're just talking about. At the Burbank show, I bought a Bill Russell rookie for $4,300, sold it to my buddy for $5,200, who was also set up right next to me, sells it in front of me for $6,900. And so I'm like, fuck, I just let that go really cheap, right? <laughs> and anyway, um, the buyer of the card too was a friend of mine and he heard my cost basis and then he started making fun of me. Um, we were just going back and forth at each other on Twitter, just as a joke. Yeah. He auctioned off recently and I won it at 6K. So, you know, I paid more than what my initial cost was. Yeah. But I still paid less than what he paid for. And, you know, sometimes it just goes around like that. Yeah. So yeah. I sold it for a cheap enough problem at a cheap enough number where the next guy profited and then I was able to buy it back. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That amazing. Like you could let that card go. And then you say to yourself, should I sell this card again or is it meant to be with me? Right. I really like that card. It was one of my favorite Bill Russell rookies I've ever owned. So, so real quick, um, your thoughts, state of the hobby. I think right now is an interesting time. Um, we just, we're seeing a lot of stuff reach pre-pandemic levels, which I think is a very good thing. Um, the market's at a healthy point where the shoe collector can buy what they like, and I really like that. However, um, I'm not going to lie, me, like everyone else, is a little bit worried about the current state because we're seeing too many auction houses right now that are all going off at the same time, and it's leading to you know, what have been three year record lows on a lot of items. And that's something that can't continue to go on because it's going to 
you know, drive this hobby into the mud. I think there's a couple of things that are going to save this, which, you know, if you follow Chris House of Jordans on Instagram, he does a really good job of talking about this. I think lowering fees on marketplace is a very important thing that is going to happen over time. It's guaranteed to happen. It's just going to take some time for us to get there. And I think that will help the hobby grow long term. I think that's an important thing. I think, you know, the security features of slabs, which are improving, I think that's going to help the hobby grow. And I think more than anything, have these auction houses, which are all going off at the same time, all offering, you know, you know, 20% commissions and, you know, higher numbers than other financial sectors offer, like watches, the standards is like 8%. Stocks, it's like, you know, not even 1%, right? You know, all these auction houses that are offering these extremely high percentages, which are going to go down over time, are all auctioning the same stuff off at the same time. So how are all of their customers, which are all spending money on the same platforms, yeah. going to, you know, spend money at all of these platforms? It's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all, yeah, they're just fighting against each other right now. Yeah. And, and the price and, and, and the, the comps on these things are dropping because even, yeah. even if you wanted to bid on, you know, sometimes two things are, are two different places, right. And they're, they're ending at the same time. And, you know, you, you really have to set your sights or focus on one and, and not the other. Yeah. I think this could be a very interesting buying opportunity for people. And I, like I said earlier, I do think that things could start to speed up by January, like it did the past couple of years, mm -hmm. but I still, I still am a little bit shaky this time around because this time around you got, you know, 50 auction houses going off the same week, which, you know, wasn't happening in the past. Yeah. That being said, look at this year's ups and downs compared to last year's ups and downs compared to the year before, even when everything was going crazy during the boom compared to those ups and downs, they've all happened at the exact same times right before summer. And then approximately a month and a half after the national, there have been the two biggest dips every single year for the past three years. Mm. Yeah. It's almost like clockwork now. Yeah. yeah. And the biggest booms have come, you know, after the new year's every single time. Yeah. So we're getting ready to wrap up, but, but I have to ask, you have to tell us what, what's, what's, what's this Facebook stories? How's the cat? Where's the wife? <laughs> I mean, uh, where, where does this come from? Where do they, where do the, where do these stories come from? And do people actually like they're, they're expecting it from you now or talk to definitely, me about that. They're definitely expecting it from you now. So I, I would say if there's one thing that, you know, got my name out there more than anything, it was that, which I don't think people realize was a complete accident. So you know, it was my birthday. And so I just posted, it's my birthday, buy some cards so I can get myself a cake. And, you know, everyone thought that was kind of amusing. And then, you know, two weeks later, um, so when we adopted my cat, it said that my cat's birthday was like April 27th or 28th or something. So as a joke, I was like, it's my cat's birthday. Um, let's, let's get him something. And then <coughs> that posted really, really well. Like, a hundred interactions, you know, 200 comments really, really well. Right. So then the following week I post something else about the cat and then another post about the cat. And I was like, you know what? We were posting too much about the cats. Let me throw something fun in there. And then, so I said, my third wife's leaving me, um, you know, buy some cards so I can buy a lawyer. And they really liked that one. And so I just started alternating between them back and forth. And, you know, next thing you know, if I don't post that people don't buy the cards now. Yeah. And I was no. going to ask, do people buy the cards? I mean, are you getting sales on this? Yeah. So the, the whole reason after I did it as a joke, you know, and once I started to like catch on what it was doing, it's like, you know, 
the reason why it works in the first place is because when you put something like that, people are commenting, it bumps your post to the top of the feed, right? And next thing you know, your posts on everyone's feed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right. You're right. Because I see it. My, <laughs> my, my Facebook for whatever reason is the absolute worst. Like sometimes something's happening in my town and I don't, the next day I'm like, Oh, this is, and my wife will be like, that was yesterday. What are you talking about? But yeah. I'll tell you what your posts, like every day, your posts are always at the very top. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So Rohan, thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. Uh, Tell every, you know what? We didn't even talk about quickly. Just talk about your podcast. Yeah. So me and Cardmon at card underscore mon on Instagram started a podcast. Um, we're, so we mainly just started doing it for fun, just to express our thoughts and like, you know, directions the market's going and, you know, kind of pick other people's brains. And, you know, we'd love to have, you know, as many people watch it as possible. I mean, yeah, we're just, you know, our third episode is most likely going to come out next week. We're planning on talking about, you know, the state of the 30 NBA teams and the directions we think they'll go this year in relation to the card market. But, you know, we'd love to have you on as a guest. We'd love to have plenty of people on as guests just to, you know, kind of pick brains, see what other people are, you know, thinking and give them a voice, you know, to the community. Absolutely. Where, where can they find that? Where can they find that podcast? You can find it on YouTube at Card Mafia Pod, or you can find it on either my Instagram or Iman's Instagram at Card underscore Mon. Okay, and and anywhere where else? Where can they find you? They want to come look at your cards. Where can they see your cards for sale? You can find my cards at Slab Mafia Sports on Instagram or Twitter, or uh, Rohan Gar on whatever Facebook group you're in. I'm probably there. Well, Rohan, again, thank you for being on. Really cool. enjoyed this. Uh, this episode and uh yeah i definitely uh, i'll come on yours in the future i want to thank everyone for tuning in and if you like what you hear please like definitely subscribe and most importantly tell a friend and spread the word and until next time be good to yourselves and everyone around you